Well, good morning, Sailorville. Good to see all of you guys here. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Hebrews 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 16 together. So third service, there's several advantages for you being here in the third service. You get the most caffeinated version of myself. Amen. Okay, and I'm so thankful that you're here. My name is Josh Daggett. I'm the lead pastor at Living Waters Fellowship on the south side of Des Moines. Um, I bring you greetings from the south side. Any rebellious south siders up here this morning? There was in first service, and I called them out. Like, get back to the south side. Um, so in 2008, uh, you guys helped plant us as a church. And so we had a handful of adults that met in my basement, the basement of my house, for our very first service. And so we had about 20 people or so. I was preaching through Philippians, and God has been very good since 2008 to save many people by the grace of God. And to His glory and the good of the gospel, God has saved many. Last year for Easter, we had just under 400 people at church, which is great. And we are praying that God would draw in 500 people for Easter this year. That's our prayer. So you can join us in that prayer as well. But God's done some pretty amazing things over the years, and you guys have been a huge part of that. And so um, I just, I just want to say thank you to Sailorville. We owe you an immeasurable amount of gratitude for taking a risk on a 26-year-old church planter. I was 26 back then, not anymore, just, just to clarify. And, and taking a risk and, and planting in a place in South Des Moines where a lot of people said, well, that can't happen. That can't work. I mean, there's no way you can go to an urban setting and bring the gospel to a, a people group that, that doesn't necessarily want to hear it. And by the grace of God, you guys believed and you have supported us every step of the way. And we thank God for you. It's, it's immeasurable the amount of gratitude we owe to you, to Pat, to the Sailorville staff. All of you guys have been so encouraging over the years. And so from my heart, the best I can say it, from my heart to you, thank you so much for having me here this morning. So let's read the scriptures together and let's open our time in a word of prayer. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one with, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the awesome opportunity that we have this morning to worship you. Father, we ask that you would take these truths and that you would multiply the blessings of the gospel into our lives through the written word of God. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and illuminate our minds and our hearts towards the truth that you would have for us. Lord, for some in this room, that is going to mean salvation. Lord, some people in this room need to be saved. Lord, for many in this room, 
It's sanctification. It's growth. It's change. So God, bring us to places where we have ears to hear. God, bless our worship of you as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the greatest. Can I get a witness? He's the best. Jesus is greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the coronavirus. If you can believe that. He's greater than the coronavirus. Jesus is greater, most importantly, than your sins and mine. Jesus Christ is the greatest. And the author of Hebrews is telling us that. He's telling us that Jesus is the greatest. And he's moving us. The author of Hebrews is moving us to action. He's moving us to action steps, mainly holding on and drawing near. Holding on in verse 14, let us hold fast, hold on to the confession. In verse 16, uh, let us draw near to the throne of grace. So this morning, the big idea for you and me is for us to hold on to Jesus. That sounds like a good idea, amen? And draw near to him. Hold on, draw near. So let's look at these action steps together. So action step number one in this text is to hold on to Jesus. Let us hold fast our confession. Okay, so the author of Hebrews is telling us to hold on. And the Greek word there means to grip in one's hand and not let go. Have you ever gripped something really hard? Have you ever like grabbed a hold of something really tightly so that you could and not let go of it? So I have four daughters and when something scary happens or we're watching a movie together, um, if there's something scary, my girls will grab my hand really tight and they'll say, Daddy, Daddy. Okay, just the other day, this happened with a dog, a neighborhood dog was on the loose in our neighborhood and Nariah my third born, she came and she jumped on me. She didn't just grab me. She jumped on me and said, Dad, don't let go of me. I'm like, why? I don't like dogs. Okay. And I'm like, okay, this is nice. I'm getting a hug and a tight hold from my daughter. Bring more of those, right? My teenager doesn't really grip my hand anymore. She's just more of like, hi, Dad. You're so not cool. But my two-year-old, Salome, she'll grab a hold of my hand. She's not ashamed to call me father. That's the idea, though, is gripping a hold of Jesus, right? So we are to grip a hold of Jesus Christ and hold on to him and not let go. That's the idea. And for some of you, you're beginning to loosen your grip. In a crowd this size, some of you are beginning to loosen your grip on Jesus. And I'm here to tell you to hold on. Hold on. Now, hold on to who? Well, Jesus. Well, what's that, what's that all about? Well, we're, we're supposed to hold on to him as our exalted high priest. You can see this in verse 14. Since we have a great 
high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold on. So Jesus is our great high priest. Now, in Judaism, this is a big deal because the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies how many times, class? How many times does he go in? Once a year. And he, he, he puts the, the blood on the mercy seat, and he's the representative of the nation of Israel, and he goes into God's holy of holies. Okay? The lofty, holy, set-apart, righteous presence of God. The high priest goes in there once a year to offer blood sacrifices for the people. You can read about this in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 7. Plus, the Old Testament and the New Testament littered with verses about the high priest going in once a year into the Holy of Holies. Jesus is better than the high priest of Judaism. He is better because in God's economy, he has not gone into the Jerusalem temple. He has gone into the heavens. Amen? Jesus has gone into the highest heavens. And this is important for the Jewish readers who are reading the letter of Hebrews. Because they're hoping that they didn't throw their lives away by following a Savior who is inferior to the Judeo-Judaism uh, system. It's a big deal. Jesus hasn't gone into some brick-and-mortar holy of holies. Jesus has gone through the heavens, and because he resurrected from the dead, he ascended through the heavens, and that's why he's the greater high priest. Why does this matter to you and me? It matters to you and me because of Hebrews 7.25. Jesus right now is in heaven and he lives to make intercession for you and me. That's good news, Christian. Amen? He is exalted. He's high. He's lifted up. He's in a different spot than you and me. So we should hold on to him because he's like in that pl place. Whenever we see famous people, we see them on a stage or we see them in, you know, on a broadcast and we're like, wow, that's amazing. I don't know them. Jesus is high and exalted and you should hold on to him because you're looking at him and you're saying, I know him. I know him. The most important person in the world, in the history of the world, I know him. Hold on to him because he is in a high and exalted place. He's also um, to be held on to because he is the sinless sympathizer. You can see this in verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted yet without sin. Jesus is not only high and exalted as the high priest, but he is the sinless sympathizer. He cares. This is a big deal because he cares about you and he cares about me. He feels where we are, which means he's not some cold and distant high priest who has no personal relationship with you and me. He is a high priest who absolutely cares. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Weaknesses? Do you guys have weaknesses? <laughs> We could get testimony microphone going on up here, and we would have weaknesses for weeks, wouldn't we? We have weaknesses. What's your weakness this morning? Maybe it's worry and fear and anxiety. 
A lot of that going around these days. The weakness that you feel is the fear inside your heart, the anxiety. What about drug addiction? For some of you, it's drug addiction where it's just a weakness. You continue to go back to sin over and over again. What about cancer? What about weaknesses that you can't control? Cancer diagnoses and difficulties in your life. What about financial ruin? Maybe that's what it is. It's a weakness of mishandling money, and now you're in a big pickle. Maybe it's the weight of leadership decisions. Maybe you're in a place where you've got to make some decisions, and they're really important, and they're really big, and you don't know how to handle those. Maybe that's a weakness. Maybe some of you got devastating news this week. Maybe you got a phone call this week that has turned your world upside down. That's weakness. The beauty of Jesus is that he cares. He actually cares about you and me. Amen? He's not just some big high priest person in heaven that's just disconnected. He's looking down from heaven and he says, I care about you. In the fall of 2016, my weaknesses as a pastor and a leader were being exposed big time. Living Waters was struggling with unity. We were struggling in a lot of different areas, and some of you can relate, but here's what I was dealing with in my life. I had church discipline issues in my left hand, super painful, very hard, relational things that were happening within our church, but sin that needed to be confronted. And in my right hand, I had church uh, direction, church vision things. Everybody was getting their pound of flesh. It seemed like everywhere I turned, I was getting shot with darts. I felt like I was in the jungle, you know, in an Indiana Jones movie or something, where it's just like... (laughs) And I was there walking in Easter Lake Park, which is a path that I walk and pray at often. And I was praying to Jesus with all these burdens on my, on my heart and in my life. And by the way, there's no superhero church planter, okay? Just throw that out of your mind. All these church planters that are in Engage Network, all made of flesh. I was walking down the path, flustered, frustrated, brokenhearted, and praying. Telling Jesus, I don't know. Do you care? Do you care about the south side of Des Moines? Do you care about my life? Do you care about these people? Do you care? Here I am, bubbling like a crying baby, walking down through the the park, and everybody on the south side thinking I'm weird. Just another day on the south side, by the way. And as I'm praying and I'm laying hold of God's tears streaming down my face, Jesus Christ intervenes in my life with his grace. And he says, Josh, I care. I care. I care. I know about every thought you've had. I know about every struggle you're walking through. I know it. Philippians 3.10 became very real to me at that moment. That I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. It was like, for the first time, I'm diving into a depth with Jesus that I've never known in my life. Because I said, Jesus, you care. I know you. More importantly, I felt like Jesus knew me. Church, I want to tell you this morning, Jesus was tempted throughout his life in every way. He was tempted in every single way possible. Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted by Satan. Matthew 16, he was tempted by Peter, who told him, you'll never go to the cross. You'll never suffer. Jesus was exposed to sickness and disease probably more than anybody in the history of the world because he was always hanging out with the down and outers and the people who needed healing. Jesus Christ, more than anybody, was persecuted. He lost loved ones to the grave. Lazarus and John 11 being the most pronounced example. Jesus had to go to the cross and suffer for your sins and mine. Don't think he doesn't know what's going on in your life. He went to the cross. For you and for me, he went to the cross. He knows what our deepest heart needs are. He is not just an exalted high priest. He is a sinless sympathizer. That's why I love Jesus. He gets it together in ways that nobody else gets it together. Jesus never sinned. 1 Peter 2.22 says that he committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. Church, you should hold on to Jesus this morning because he's your exalted high priest and because he's your sinless sympathizer. Hold on tight. The second action step is to draw near. Not only are we to hold on tight to Jesus, but we are to draw near to Jesus. And you can see this in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Because of the gospel, the Hebrew uh, author is telling us that we are to draw near. The word here is to approach or to get close. We are to get close to Jesus. And we are to draw near to him, how? With boldness. Some of your versions say boldness. Some of them say confidence. We are called to confidently get close to the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done. Alexander McLaren, in his commentary, he said that this phrase, to come boldly, means to come with frank confidence. You can take that home and chew on that all week. Okay, frank confidence. It means to speak everything. When you come into the throne of grace, what are you supposed to say? Everything. Everything that's on your heart, you are supposed to say to Jesus. You are supposed to talk to God in an unembarrassed and unrestrained kind of way, sharing from your heart to his. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross and through the resurrection and because our position is in heaven with Christ, we are to come and get close. How are you doing in your prayer life? How close are you to Jesus? 
Are you drawing near to him this morning? It reminds me of Psalm 62.8 where it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Believers in Jesus are to have a fervent and fearless approach to God's throne. One filled with complete honesty. How many of you are lying to God in your prayers? You're just lying. You're just saying the same Gentile phrases over and over and over again. Rubbing the prayer genie, hoping that some, some genie comes out of a lamp and you get your three wishes like Aladdin. Some of you need to cut it and start coming to God with openness and honesty. Jesus Christ saved you and he died and rose again from the dead so you can pray. Don't waste your opportunity to come close. The blood of the cross was much too high of a price for you to mess around in the prayer room. Be open, be honest. Our church is buying a grocery store as our new church home. Some of you know that, some of you don't know that. Grocery store, future church. Salvation, aisle six. (laughs) We've had the goal to raise $1.2 million in a year. $1.2 million in a year. We're almost to the end of our journey, both on the calendar and in the bank account. Praise God. Raising so much money has caused me to fervently and fearlessly and openly and honestly talk to Jesus. You want to get closer to Jesus? Raise $1.2 million in a year. I do prayer walks. Some of you guys do that, some of you don't. So I walk circles in this empty grocery store. I just pray, talk to Jesus, right? And as I'm walking, I'm praying, what am I doing? What am I doing? I am taking the promises of God, and I'm saying, Jesus, you said this. Therefore, you need to do this. Jesus, you say this in your word. You say this in your word. You say this in your word. You say this. So I'm just having an open, honest conversation with you, Lord, that you need to do this for your glory. And I also say, Jesus, you're not the one who's going to fail us. We're the one who's probably going to fail you. So give us the faith to keep persevering. As I've walked around Fairway, reminding Jesus of his many promises, Satan, no doubt, has sought to distract my heart with all the counter-arguments, right? You can't do that in South Des Moines. You can't raise $1.2 million in a poor neighborhood. You can't do this. You can't do that. And all I say in prayer is, Jesus, I'm telling you what people are telling me. I believe you, not them. Church, draw near. Draw near to Jesus. With a fervent heart, with a fearless heart, with an honest heart. Draw near. 
To where? To the throne of grace. To the throne of grace. With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. So we should come openly to God's throne. And what kind of throne is it? The word of God says here that it is a throne of grace. Awesome. Because of the cross and resurrection, Jesus reveals the full nature of God and his throne. We know a lot more about God's throne because it's been revealed to us through Jesus, and it is a throne of grace. It's not just a throne of holiness and justice and judgment, which all those things are beautiful, and we love that about God's throne, right? Justice and and holiness and justice, we love those things. But Jesus reveals that the throne of God is also a throne of grace. This changes everything because it reveals the heart of our God. Our God is a gracious God. Our God is one who loves to pour out grace. Our God is a saving God. Amen? John 3, 17. Some of you already have this memorized. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Our God wants to pour grace out on his creation. God is eager to pour out grace on all those who humble themselves and draw near. Consider James verse, chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, draw near to God, and he'll do what? He'll draw near to you. Church, God is a God of great grace. His throne, when you come to pray to him in Christ, his throne is one of grace and salvation and new birth and new starts. Amen? How many of you need a new start? Church, are you saved? Are you saved this morning? Are you born again? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Because that moment of surrender introduces you to the throne of grace. And secondly, for believers, do you know Christ, not only in salvation, but do you know him and his throne of grace? Believer, are you enraptured with the reality that Jesus' throne is a throne of grace? We Christians should be tickled that the throne that we approach is a throne of unmerited favor. It's awesome. His grace is available for us. So we should draw near to the throne of grace and we should draw near to receive We come near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We come to the throne of grace to receive, not to give. We come to God in prayer to receive, not to give. We don't come into the prayer room saying, God, sit back, relax, and let me give you some stuff. God is in heaven. He is limitless. He has all resources. He doesn't need anything from us. When we come to prayer, we need to come and say, God, I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to receive because of all that Christ has done. I'm ready to receive mercy, and I'm ready to receive grace. God has all resources to satisfy us. It reminds me of Psalm 81, verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What is mercy? 
Mercy's not getting what you do deserve, right? Mercy is getting out of the spanking when you deserve a spanking. Mercy is not getting the judgment that you so rightfully deserve. So when we come into God's presence through Christ, we say, praise God for his mercy. Praise God that I'm not getting the hell that I deserve. This is mercy. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Gifts that you have no business receiving. Blessings that you have no business earning. This is the, this is the throne room of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to give you two illustrations just to illustrate what I'm talking about. One is a young man that I met just this week named Sai. Sai is a 21-year-old um, Buddhist. And I was on the streets handing out Easter flyers, and I found Sai, and he's got the biggest smile you've ever seen. Just this super joyful 22-year-old guy. I'm like, hey, man, what's your name? He's like, I'm Sai. I'm Sai. Really pumped. And I said, Sai, dude, what, you have a great smile. What, what are you doing? He's like, I, I, don't, I, I, I just work. You know, I do my thing. And I said, what are your spiritual beliefs? He said, I'm a Buddhist. I'm like, great, a smiling Buddhist. Awesome. I get to share Jesus with a smiling Buddhist. Because if you're going to share with a Buddhist, they might as well be smiling, right? And so he's a smiling Buddhist, and I said, what do you believe, man? And he said, you know, I believe that I go to the temple and we pray. We have a, te- a Buddhist temple three blocks from our church. He said, I, I go to the temple and I pray, and I, I believe this. I believe that good people, they go to heaven, and, and bad people, they go, to, they go to hell. It's never good when you have to tell a Buddhist what they believe. Like, like dude, I, let me explain your belief system to you. And so I'm explaining to Sai his, his uh, belief system. I'm sharing Jesus with him. And we had a great talk. And I, I leave him with some literature. And I walk down the sidewalk. And what's the thing I'm praying for Sai? Mercy. God have mercy on this guy. If we don't get the gospel to him, bad things are in store. Be merciful, God. Be merciful. That's mercy. That's good. We need to pray that and be thankful for that in our own lives, but also pray it for other people. Because when we come into the throne room of Jesus, it's what we receive and it's what we pray for and it's what we give. Another story is a guy that we disciplined out of the church seven years ago. Very painful situation for me. Through a lot of different circumstances, we connected. About three weeks ago, we got together for coffee at the epicenter of spiritual transformation on the south side, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and I started talking to him, and he started to express great sorrow for his sin. And the mess that he not only made, but the mess that he's continued to see in his life. And I was listening to him, and we're interacting, sharing God's word, and I'm praying as we're talking, Lord, restore this man to Christ. Wow, what an opportunity. What am I praying for with this young, with this guy? Grace. Grace to repent. 
Don't you know it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance? I'm praying that God's grace would shine down on him. And so because of Jesus, when we step into the presence of God, we are met with mercy and grace. And when we get a real good taste of that in our own lives, we want more of it. It intoxicates us. It transforms us. And it fuels us to get more. So church, when you pray, draw near to Jesus. I'm so afraid that so many Christians are wasting their time praying because they're afraid to draw near. Church, draw near to receive. Don't be ashamed to receive the mercy and the grace that are there for us in Christ, paid for by the blood of Jesus. He has paid for your opportunity to pray, so let's get to work. Draw near to receive. As we close, church, Sailorville, so near to our hearts. I would encourage you to hold on to Christ. Hold on with the strongest grip you can possibly produce. Hold on to him. He's the high and exalted high priest, and he's also the sinless sympathizer who knows what you're going through. Hold on to him. And also, draw near to the throne of of grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible love for us. Lord, you've called us to hold on. You've called us to draw near. Jesus, we pray that this morning, by your grace, you would help us to see Jesus. Help us to hold on to him, Lord, for believers in this room that are loosening their grip on Jesus Christ. Lord, would you cause them to hold on tight? To not let go. Jesus, pull us through. We don't have the strength. We're too weak. Jesus, pull us through by your power. Keep us holding on. And Lord, keep us drawing near. May we always be known as a, as a people who draw near to our Savior. Pour out your mercy, pour out your grace upon us this morning. Help us to draw near. God, if there's any in this room that don't know Christ, Lord, we would pray for them, that you would lead them to repentance, to faith, to confession of sin, surrender to Jesus Christ. Lord, may you cause someone in this room to draw near for the very first time. God, be glorified in this. Help us to make decisions now that will glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.